0: It's a story that says that the two little girls were sitting there counting their pocket money. I have ten pounds, said one of them. No, no, no. You've only got five pounds, just like me, said the other. Oh, no. Daddy said he would give me five pounds more when we, he would come back from work tonight. So I have ten pounds. Oh, that little girl believed her daddy. Daddy's promise was enough. How good are are you at believing God's promises? What is it that gives us confidence? Where does assurance come from in those moments when we feel that our faith is so weak? Well, today I would like us to consider from Genesis chapter 15, the answer to those questions. So I'd like to invite you to open up God's Word to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 is where we left last time, where we finished chapter 14, and we're going systematically through Genesis. And we are now in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is found just after the great battle that Abram had with other nations. And it's a very, we could say, key chapter in the Bible. Is a key chapter in, in God's Word. Genesis chapter 15 We look at two points this morning. Number one, weak faith. Number two, unbreakable promise. Weak faith, unbreakable promise. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, praying that you may help us as we consider your word. Help us understand it, Lord, that you may be clear. But Father... Even more, Lord, we pray that you may change us. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we arrive to chapter 15 and Abraham's disappointed. God said he would bless him greatly, but so far, nothing. Here he is. With no child and no land as a possession. God gave him the promise that he would give him a child and a land to possess in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. But here in chapter 15, Abram's still waiting. He didn't even take anything from the mighty battle or the mighty conquest in Genesis chapter 14. He is waiting for God's promise. He is disappointed. Nothing yet. Instead, his relative Lot, the guy he thought would become his descendant, has gone away into Sodom. The only other solution he can think of at this stage is that perhaps his household servant or household slave would become his heir. And there he is, sulking. Abram's disappointed Even fearful, fearful, perhaps at the end of that conquest, thinking other nations will band together and and come. And this land is not my land. And so he's there, disappointed and fearful. Therefore, God speaks. God addresses him. God speaks to him again in chapter 15. So read with me. Verse 1: Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Other translations have it: Fear not, I am your shield, I am your great reward. God speaks. God speaks and after God speaks, Abram replies. He, here next we have the very first time in which Abram is now speaking. And the first words are now recorded by the author of Genesis. Uh, and what is it that he's going to say? The, the very first words are coming. And what is it that comes from Abram? Questions. He's, uh, he just opens up with questions. I wonder if you've ever been there. Verse 2. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Verse three. And Abram said again, behold, you have given me no offspring and the member of my household will be my heir. And then verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And what did God say there? Look at verse four. What did God say? How dare you question me? No. Abram's honesty leads God to reaffirm his promises with love, with patience. Verse four. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be. Your heir. Verse 5, and he brought him outside. Maybe he was inside of the tent that evening, and he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. What is it that God just 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 did there? What what did God do? God reaffirms his promise in, of, of chapter 12 and chapter 13, and then he gives him a picture, a visual aid, so that he can see with his very eyes that which, which the Lord is telling him. Now, if you look up in the sky uh, in the evening, it's very hard to see the stars because there's a lot of light here on, 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 on the ground. If you live in a city, it's even worse. Village is okay. But if you go out in, into the sticks, no light at all, suddenly it's magnified. I was up a hauling right, right at the end uh, with a friend taking photographs of the uh, Milky Way. And for the very first time in my life, I was able to see the Milky Way with bare eyes. It was amazing. And here is Abraham seeing the, the stars and counting them there. And what is Abraham's response? Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Again, and he, that is Abraham, believed the Lord. And he, that's the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. This one verse is a mountain of a Bible, Bible verse. It teaches a mountain of a doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. This is one of the key verses in all of the entire Bible. This is one of the this is a verse in which in the New Testament, Paul goes back to as he's writing the letter to the Romans, chapter four, verse three. And then in Galatians, chapter three, verse six, he refers back to these verse. it is this verse that Paul uses to explain the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. Justification. Now, that's a big word. But do not be intimidated by such a big word, justification. It may be a bit of a mouthful, but it's a doctrine so important for us to know and to learn. And we ought to know it well. Football fans know their offsides and yellow cards. Uh, Rugby players know their tackles, try lines and scrums. But Christians are to know their doctrine. It's crucial that we understand this particular doctrine. It is this doctrine that Martin Luther understood as he, as he wrestled with the truth of God's word and as he became a Christian. It is this very doctrine that he saw was of great importance. So much so that he rejected the Roman Catholic teaching of his day, which taught, and even today, which teaches a radical opposite teaching than justification by grace through faith. Luther's understanding of justification and his commitment towards God prompted the Reformation in the 16th century. Justification. John Calvin said, on the other hand, justification is the principal hinge by which religion is supported. That important is the doctrine of justification. If we are truly to teach the message of the gospel, the true message of the gospel in our day and age today, we must understand the doctrine of justification. Justification is a legal declaration. It is a declaration by God. God Declares a believer to be righteous in his sight. A declaration like the minister a few weeks ago that was before Tim and Nelly. And as he's there with Tim and Nelly, he then says to them, I declare you man and wife. That legal declaration is the same as the judge who is there declaring and saying, You are innocent. A legal declaration, but justification is a legal declaration by God God but on what basis does God declare a person to be righteous or justified? Look at verse 16 again. He counted it to him as. Righteousness. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? No, that is not righteousness. (laughs) You're okay, Emma. Would you like a drop of water? (laughs) Okay, well. (laughs) What is righteousness righteousness is being right with god as a result of one's perfect obedience to all of god's demands the thing is as we read abraham's life we ask the question does abraham perfectly meet all of god's demands no Abram fails over and over again. Yet we read in this verse that his faith, not his actions, his faith, not his works, is what counted him in the sight of God as righteous. In other words, Abram's trust that God would keep his promise, not his actions, his trust Made him right with God. God declared. This is a righteous man. God reckoned him to be righteous. Real faith my friends. Even if weak. Leads to great promises. Real faith. Leads to great promises. Faith alone justifies Grudem says justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he one thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and two declares us to be righteous in his sight praise the Lord we who once had such a huge Debt against God on our account. Red numbers have been credited with unspeakable abundance of Christ's riches and blessings by the Lord himself forever. Forever. But my question to you this morning is, have you been justified? Have your sins been forgiven? Is Christ's righteousness reckoned to be yours? Has God declared you righteous in his sight? To know the answer to that question, I'm going to ask you more questions, so listen carefully. Do you believe? Do you have faith? You know? Even a weak faith will do. Do you believe? Someone might say, oh, yes, I believe there is a God. Well, but do you believe? Because James reminds us that even the demons believe. But but let me ask you, do you believe? Do you believe God? Do you believe God's promise of the gospel? Do you believe Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth and lived a perfect life? Do you believe He died a death for your sins? Do you believe that He's died for you on the cross? Do you believe? Do you believe in such a way that you'd rather die rather than be robbed from such a truth? Do you believe? Abram believes God and is counted to him as righteousness. So now that Abram believes, all the questions are answered. Not so fast, my friend. Look at there again in the next verses, verse seven and eight. We see how God's next sentence, in the next sentence, God reminds him of his power and then we have something else. Look, verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? What? More questions? What? Isn't he a believer? Oh, yes, absolutely. He's a believer. Even the father of faith. But... At this stage in his life, his faith is in embryonic form. He's a baby faith. In other words, he's a baby Christian. He believes, but it is as if he cries to God, I believe, help my unbelief. Have you ever felt like Abraham? You believe the gospel of our Savior. You believe the good news of Jesus Christ. You love His Word. You love the fellowship with other believers, and you still do not understand their how and the what and the when. And you wonder, even you wonder, am I even a believer? am, Am I even a Savior? Am I, sorry, am I even saved? Is that you? Am I even saved? Take heart. My dear believer, your faith will mature. Your faith will grow as you depend on God and his word. Your faith will mature as you face the trials of life like James chapter 1 reminds us from verse 2 to 4. Those trials cause us to grow in maturity as you face the trials. You're maturing because he who began the good work will bring it to completion. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise. That's exactly what just happened to Abraham. He has a faith, but it's a baby faith. He then goes on in the next few chapters, as we will see in the next few weeks. He goes like a toddler messing about and putting up, putting his foot in it and, 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 Leading to terrible consequences. But he becomes a completely different man decades later in Genesis chapter 22. To the point that he's even willing to offer his own son. Because God said, give me, offer your son as a sacrifice. And he's willing, why? Because his faith was complete. He knew that the Lord God who kept his promise will be even able to raise a person from the dead. And so he's willing to offer his own son. But here? (laughs) No. (laughs) Here, Abraham is still a baby in the faith. Here, Abraham is still, he hasn't got a mature faith. He's he's still a baby Christian with lots, lots and lots of questions. And how is it that God reassures him? Well, that leads me to my second point. Unbreakable promise. Look at verse nine. He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, and a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Notice, these are five of the animals that were in the sacrificial system of Leviticus. You can read them in Leviticus, all these five. Quite interesting. Verse 10. And he brought him all this, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. What is going on here? Well, what's happening on this passage may sound so strange for us 21st century Christians or 21st century people. But in those days... When they didn't have contracts, a document where they would take a piece of paper and sign the, the, their, the, the, their life. No, sign that they would be entering into a contract with someone else. At that time, they didn't have that. So what they would do, two parties, when they would enter into a contract, they would cut an animal in two. And they would put one half of the animal on one side, then a gap. And then an other side, the other half of the animal on the other side. You can find uh, evidence of this in eastern Near, East, uh, uh, Near Eastern um, uh, tribes where kings would do this thing. And so there would be a gap in the middle and, and, and the two parties would walk together in the middle across this mess. And they would pronounce a self-curse. If I fail to keep my agreement, may I be split in two. In other words, if I fail to keep my word, may I die. This was well known at that time. So when Abraham hears that God is asking him to bring these animals, he knows that God is about to sign the contract. And so he goes and prepares and cuts. And puts the animals and waits. And waits. And waits. And the Lord tarries. Verse 12. And the sun was going down. Sorry, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham and behold dreadful and great darkness fell upon him and finally at this stage God speaks to Abraham and God reveals removes the veil to a revelation of something that would happen in many years to come that he, what would happen to his Generation to his people, to his to his genealogy, how God would 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 bring they would be enslaved, but how God would bring them out of slavery, and they finally would go into the promised land. Many many years after, God would tarry in His promise. But God would keep his promise. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring, that's your children, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants, slaves there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 14. But. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And why is it that they will not enter the promised land straight away? Well, verse 16 again says... For the iniquity or the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, the evil against God from the Amorites did, at this point still did not warrant, warrant judgment. That will come. That will come. But you shall wait. You shall wait. The Lord will tarry. And so, in our passage, God has spoken. But now watch what is it that God does. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. These items symbolised God's presence. Remember when Genesis was written? The people of Israel were traveling in the desert. And as they were traveling in the desert, the Lord was leading them. And how was the Lord leading them? There was a, a, a pillar of smoke leading them by day or cloud. And a pillar of fire leading them by night. It was the very Lord God. And here we read that this smoke and fire passing by. This would be a representation of God, his spirit passing by in between these two pieces. He said, as if God is saying, if I fail to keep my promise, may I die? But guess what? God never dies. God keeps his promises. So Abraham can have confidence that God will keep his promise. Praise God. Look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. An interesting side note of this passage is that there is God speaking to Abraham, this fire pot and torch passing by. He sees a visual representation of the presence of God and their dead animals typifying the sacrificial system in Leviticus. It's as if the sun typified there. The Spirit represented there. The Father speaking. This reminded me of the baptism of Christ. As Christ was being baptised, what happened? There was the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaking. And the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove over Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord, the Triune God. Abraham can have confidence that God will fulfill his promises. We believers can be confident that God will keep his promises because he has given us the guarantee. And what is the guarantee that Christians have? The guarantee is a down payment, is like a like a deposit. When you buy a house, you need to pay a large enough deposit so that if you if you if you don't go ahead, you forfeit your deposit. And so there is a large enough deposit that if you forfeit it, that's it, it's gone. And God has given us. He's given us a guarantee. Who is the guarantee? Who is the guarantee? the spirit the spirit of God listen what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him Jesus were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit listen to this who is the guarantee of our inheritance Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, God has given his down payment and that down payment we have it is ours. The spirit of God has been given to us the very moment we believe, which means that. When we die, we will be with him. Why? Because Romans chapter 8 reminds us that the very spirit that was on Christ Jesus when he died and when he rose again, it was the spirit of God that rose him up from the dead. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, In the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, sorry, if the spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. (laughs) Hallelujah. What a glorious teaching. Weak faith. Unbreakable promise. Now, I told you earlier that I was only going to give you two points this morning. And yes, I have given you two points, but I am feeling rather generous this morning. And so, as they say, a good sermon has to have three points. I'm sneaking a third by way of application of this passage this morning. Don't look inside of you to find reassurance that you are really, truly saved. Rather, look up. That is my point. Look up. Look up in faith. Even if it's a weak faith. And trust him who brought salvation and who has perched or bought that salvation for you on the cross. Look up. Look up and rejoice in his promises as you read his word. Look up as you read. But as you very well know, you can't look up and read unless it's up here. So when you read, look down. But in faith, look up. Look up as you read his word. Look up. To God in faith and praise Him for His steadfast love and mercy. Look up as He he fills your mind with His promises. Look up as you grow and mature in the faith through these lives, hardships and dangers. Look up, Christian. Look up. Look up to God and trust Him. And while you do that, the Spirit of God will fill you with assurance for He has given you His Spirit. He has baptised you in the Spirit The very moment you believed, this is what the Word of God teaches. The very moment you believe, you've been baptised in the Spirit. That makes this belief, faith, a fruit of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit. So, look up. Look up. Is what John Bradford did as they told him he would be executed for preaching the true gospel. The true gospel, which includes justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Mr. Bradford, tomorrow you will be burnt at the stake. To which he replied, I thank my God for it. The next day he was taken off to his execution. And as he arrived at the place where he would be executed, at the place where there was the stake, another young man by the name of John Leaf was there also waiting. He was just barely 18 years of age. He was going to be executed on what charge? He also refused to deny the true gospel As opposed to the Roman Catholic teaching uh, that they were forced upon that day, he refused because of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. He was just 18 years of age, no doubt, a young in faith. And as they bound them together, they both knelt on their knees for the very last time and they prayed. And John Bradford said to his companion, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord Jesus this night. Then they looked up. The faggots were turned on, and they were burnt. They died. Brothers and sisters, Look up and remember, even a weak faith in God's promises leads to great unbreakable blessings. Great and unbreakable blessings to us and to those around us. Because think about it, Abram believed. And all those who believed after him are sons of Abraham. And when you believe and you're justified and then you go and share with others and tell them of the wonderful news of salvation and they believe, guess what? They too are blessed. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and we give you thanks for your most precious word. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that even a small faith, a baby faith, is, Lord, enough to be justified before you. Thank you that you do not leave us with faith alone, for obedience is the other side of the coin of faith. But, Lord, faith is what justifies us before you. Father, we pray that in your grace we may walk, that we, Your oh Father, may walk in a manner that is honouring to you as we look up as we look up by your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.